But tonight I wanted to continue our theme of the resurrection. And it is a blessed, uh, blessed thing to be able to understand that Jesus Christ is coming again. And that God has a special plan for the church in, in the resurrection. And Paul is communicating uh, the doctrines of the resurrection. First, he articulates so very clearly the, uh, the gospel message in the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Then he goes on and talks about the importance uh, of the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and has become the first fruits of them that slept. Uh, and that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then uh, everything about Christianity and who Jesus said he was and where our faith is, is all empty and in vain. And then he closes the text by sharing something that he calls a mystery, uh, which was uh, something that was hidden before, uh, which is unique to the church age. He says in verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Now, you remember now, this has now uh, become a phrase that Jesus first used in John 11, I believe it was, when he was talking about Lazarus, and he said, Lazarus sleeps, and the disciples were, you know, up to that point, when someone was asleep, uh, they would wake up again. They'd never heard that used in relationship to death. And so very clearly, Jesus eventually had to tell them, Lazarus is dead. And from that point on, uh, the Christian, the church, would use that idea of sleep for the believer the person who dies in Christ. Uh, and so the phrase, sleep in Jesus, Paul will use it in 1 Thessalonians, and here um, it's used as well. It says, we shall not all sleep. That means we shall not all die. So if you're born again, here's what you have to look forward to. You have, forward, you, you have to look forward to uh, what has been called the rapture, which is simply the, the Latin for caught up, which is the teaching of Paul uh, here and in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 4, there's going to be a a catching up. uh, And that is the next plan on God's calendar. That's what's going to happen next. That's going to happen before God picks up his dealings with Israel. And yes, he's not done with Israel. Uh, He has promises that uh, he is going to pick up with and deal with Israel. Uh, Daniel 70 weeks, uh, we're not going to go into all that. But by the way, um, we're going to briefly start here in 1 Corinthians 15, and then we're going to spend our time, uh, some of our time in 1 Thessalonians. But on the back table, because we probably, this is kind of a summary. Many years ago, I preached through 1 Thessalonians, uh, and, and that is one of the clearest passages of Scripture that clearly teach that the rapture, the resurrection of the saints, is any moment, the imminent return of Jesus. That's what Paul preached when he was in Thessalonica. And he had the believers looking for Jesus Christ at any moment. He had them so excited, they were newly saved, and they were looking for Jesus to return at any moment. And then Paul left in a hurry through persecution. And all of a sudden, Jesus didn't return right away. And some of them, some of their loved ones died. And, and, and in their mind, they're thinking, okay, that Jesus is coming. And now they're thinking, well, what about, we've all been waiting for him to come. Now some of our loved ones who are saved have died. 
what's going to happen? Is, now, did they miss Jesus coming? And so Paul would write 1 Thessalonians to address this very clearly. Uh, Paul, the New Testament church, believed and taught in, a, in an imminent return at any moment Jesus could come again. Paul was not wrong in teaching that, though he has not come yet. But folks, that same expectancy that Paul was able to get in those believers, I am convinced is the same expectancy that we need to have. Jesus Christ could come at any minute. And that is, that's called the blessed hope. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We're to be looking for that. How does Revelation end? Even so, Lord Jesus, come. And so I'm convinced that should be our attitude. So anyway, on the back table is um, just a synopsis of some of the points we went over when I preached through uh, Thessalonians. Seven points in favor of the pre-tribulational rapture in the Thessalonian opinion, uh, in opinions, epistles. It's not the Thessalonian opinions, it's the Thessalonian epistles. That's there for you to take. Each one has scripture. But I want to encourage you now, we're, going to, we're just going to deal with this briefly tonight. There's so much. I could do a probably three or four part series on this. But I just I want to hit some key points. Now there is a great theologian from days gone by named Robert Dick Wilson. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him. Uh, he, was, uh, he died in 1930, so my dad was born like three years after he passed away. But he was one of the old school in uh, Princeton Theological Seminary, back when modernism was creeping in. He was a great Old Testament Hebrew scholar who was convinced uh, in the, the, the inerrancy of the Old Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures, and he defended them. This man learned, I think, 45 languages. He learned Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and then he learned every language that the Bible had been translated in the first uh, 600 years. He memorized, he learned all that. This man was a scholar. He defended the, uh, the legitimacy, the historicity of the scriptures. And uh, he fought modernism when it came into Princeton. Eventually, uh, fighting that battle, he eventually came out from among them and, and joined uh, a newly formed Bible-believing conservative uh, seminary. But he had, in his studies, in his research, he became convinced that invariably almost any commonly held but false view could be traced back, and now I'm reading from a synopsis of his, from his writings, uh, one, of his, one of his books. Uh, his research convinced him that almost invariably any commonly held but false view could be traced back to a single writer, and that this error had become widespread not because other writers had independently investigated the same evidence and arrived at the same conclusions, but merely because other writers were lazy and simply parroted the conclusions of the first writer. In short, the false conclusions were naively adopted and the evidence ignored. And I, I love that. I believe he is on target. Uh, that, that truly, that's why you and I have to be on guard, even in our circles and what we embrace uh, we have to be on guard. Again, I want to read this again. His research had convinced him that almost invariably any commonly held but false view could be traced back to a single writer and that this error had become widespread not because other writers had independently investigated the same evidence 
and arrived at the same conclusions, but merely because other writers were lazy and simply parroted the conclusions of the first writer. In short, the false conclusions were naively adopted and the evidence ignored. Uh, That's why we have to be a Berean. Now, in light of that, there are some uh, who claim that the teachings of, uh, for us to interpret prophecy literally, uh, this, this idea of dispensationalism and understanding how God is working, and the whole fact that prophecy was meant to be understood literally, that Jesus Christ is going to come back literally and set up his kingdom upon the earth, uh, they believe that that all goes back to the writings, uh, kind of along these lines, they probably use this, this quote from Robert Dick Wilson to say, dispensationalism and the, the idea of the rapture began in the 1830s. In fact, let me read to you what one writer said. This guy, I don't know who he is, other than Gary DeMar, president of, uh, president of American Vision, says this. Listen to what he says. A majority of prophecy writers and speakers teach that the church will be raptured before a future tribulational period. But did you know that prior to about 1830, no such doctrine existed? No one in all of church history ever taught pre-tribulational rapture. That's a work uh, that he wrote called Why Why Christians Will Suffer Great Tribulation. Do you realize, think about that, that is a sweeping statement. No one in all of church history ever taught a pre-tribulational rapture. Oh, really? Paul doesn't count? You know? Uh, We are going to look at it, and I want to give to you just... I want to address that briefly, so we're going to look a little bit at church history. And understand this, the bottom line is who cares what the church fathers say? It's what does the Scripture say? But I want to remind you, we've been in hermeneutics, and I made this statement. It's a very important point that um, the Scripture, a passage of Scripture, whichever one you're going to interpret, it, it never means, it, it always means what it's always meant. You know, in other words, um, when someone comes out with, hey, I have a new interpretation of this Scripture, God has given me insight that no one has ever seen. That is like an immediate sign to watch out and run. Because God gives us a Scripture. It's how He's revealed His truth. And so, by the way, if that's true, if um, John Darby was the guy, in fact, uh, that reference of 1830s was referring to the Morning Watch Prophecy Journal, the writings of John Darby, who, uh, who really did you know, promote dispensational theology. Uh, and so the, the view is that, well, he invented it. And this idea of the rapture and all, was a, it's a new doctrine, and, and you really shouldn't, you know, because it's new, uh, it's not what the Bible teaches, and folks, that is a blanketly false statement. Now, all I need to do is give you one uh, church father from days gone by who embraced the imminent return of Jesus Christ, and that would blow that out of the water because he made a very dogmatic statement. But I submit to you, there, I'm going to give you more. There's a whole lot more. But I don't want to get lost in just quoting church history. But I do want to mention primarily two... two um, two believers, two theologians, who were before John Darby, 1830. Remember, think of that now. Because is this doctrine we believe? Is it new? Is this the first time the church has ever been told that Jesus Christ is coming at any moment? Absolutely not. So let's go back, not all the way yet. We're going to go a little bit back 
to a guy by the name of Morgan Edwards. He was born in 1722, died in 1795. Okay, so is that before, after 1830? Before, okay? John Morgan, excuse me, Morgan Edwards um, taught uh, a pre-tribulational rapture. He was a Baptist leader, um, and his two academical exercises uh, were on the subjects with two titles, two, two works. The Millennium, The Millennium, and Last Novelties. They were published in 1744, published in Philadelphia. He was one of the prominent Baptist leaders. He was the, uh, the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Philadelphia. You know how there's, everybody has a First Baptist Church? Well, he really was. It was the First Baptist Church in Philadelphia. He was uh, the pastor of that. He also was one of those that was involved in the founding of Brown University, uh, which was a Baptist college to train uh, pastors and missionaries. It wasn't originally called Brown University. Um, but listen to what he, he wrote in, the 17, in 1744. The distance between the first... And by the way, here, the bottom line is this. And by the way, if, we, if we're going to trace back, you know, if it's true that you can trace back heresy to an original person... It was only in the, you know, after 300 years, the first 300 years, it's very clear that God's people, the church, the early church fathers, Arrhenius, and uh, I'll give you a few of them, they believed in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. They believed Jesus Christ was going to come and set up his kingdom on the earth before the tribulation. They believed Jesus Christ was going to come at any moment. And it was only with, when Augustine came that he began to embrace uh, this this allegorical interpretation of Scripture, which means you don't take things literally, you spiritualize, you allegorize. And by the way, if all we need to do is look at all the prophecies of Jesus Christ's first coming, I mean, it was, it was specific. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, uh, there were specific, look, specific words and definitions. And you know what? He fulfilled them literally, literally, not allegorically. And when you take an allegorical approach to eschatology or end times, it just becomes, it's so confusing. There's, you don't know, it doesn't say anything. And the Bible, God has given us the revelation. God has given us communication. Not that we can know the day or the hour, by the way, beware. If anyone says they know the day or the hour of the Lord's coming. But Jesus Christ is coming back at any moment. And he wants us to be looking for his return. We are to be looking for Jesus Christ, not for the Antichrist. Because the rapture is the next event. So let's talk about Morgan Edwards. Listen to what he wrote. And this is clearly uh, so much evidence that there has been a literal understanding of prophecy, uh, and, and how to interpret the Bible. He says this, The distance between the first and second resurrection will be somewhat more than a thousand years. I say somewhat more, because the dead saints will be raised and the living changed at Christ's appearing in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 And this will be about three, uh, about three years and a half before the millennium. So he's, he's believing there's going to be a literal millennium on the earth. Not, not an allegorical thing as we shall see hereafter but will he and they abide in the air all that time 
No, they will ascend to paradise or to some one of those many mansions in the Father's house and disappear during the foresaid period of time. The design of this retreat and disappearing will be to judge the risen and changed saints. For now the time has come that judgment must begin, and that will be at the house of God. So he believed in a literal return of Jesus. He believed that there's going to be a rapture, and he's inferring about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Folks, these are all things that are going to be happening that we are a part of because we are part of the church. What a blessing. Now, he wrote, uh, he wrote that previous statement that I just read in actually a senior essay. that He, do, he was born in Wales and then went to, um, he went to Bristol Baptist College in Bristol, England before coming to America. And um, he wrote what I just quote ended up being published, but he wrote it in an essay when he was a senior at, at Bristol Baptist College. And at the beginning of the essay, in a comment addressed to his teacher, he said this. It's interesting that we have this here. He said, And is it come to my lot to treat of the millennium, or Christ's thousand-year reign on earth? Thousand pities, sir. This is to his teacher that was going to grade the paper. Thousand pities, sir, that you had not allotted the task to one of these older and abler students. But since it is your pleasure, since you're making me do it, he said, I will do my, my possible, and in the attempt will work by a rule you have often recommended. That is, to take the scriptures in a literal sense, except when that leads to contradiction or absurdity. So that is interesting. Here's a man that who, his own professor was teaching the principle, which he just then applied it to eschatology, the study of end times. And so he's kind of preparing. He said, I just want you to know, Prof, first of all, you choose me to do this, and I am simply following your principle of hermeneutics in, you know, when the literal sense makes sense, don't try to make any other sense. That's another way we've worded it. Uh, And so he interpreted it literally. Now, by the way, when he wrote this, he wrote this, these things about prophecy 175 years before the destruction of the Ottoman Empire's hold on the land of Israel. That's just 1917. He wrote wrote this 175 years before that. And he wrote this 200 years before the establishment of the modern state of Israel in 1948. Yet, as he studied the scriptures way back then, he understood if God is going to fulfill things as he said in the plain sense of Scripture. Certain things are going to take place. Listen to what he wrote. Again, 175 years before the Ottoman Empire released its hold on, on Israel. I mean, when you, in that time, it was like, it's the Ottoman Empire. What, you mean Israel? Israel's not coming back. And then, and then 200 years later in 1948, this stuff is unimaginable. Unless you interpreted the scripture literally. Listen to what he said. This again was in 1744 he wrote this. The Turkish or Ottoman Empire will be demolished. For otherwise the right owners cannot possess their inheritance. He's talking about Israel. The 12 tribes, tribes, as observed before, will return to their ancient inheritance. Else how can the 12 apostles be their judges? 
In this united capacity, they will rebuild Jerusalem in its place and the temple in its place on Mount Zion. For in this temple will Antichrist sit as God, small g, and be the abomination mentioned by Daniel and referred to by Christ. He is interpreting the Scriptures literally. And, and that was, way back then, that was a far-fetched thing. What are you talking about? Israel would have to become a nation again. They don't even exist as a land. And here we are. Isn't that amazing? And this man knew. Long before John Darby started promoting uh, his interpretation, and he had certain dispensations. By the way, when we go back to um, Arrhenius and... In fact, let me just throw this out since I have so much stuff here. Um, Justin Martyr and Irenaeus are two church fathers. Justin Martyr was born 100, about 100 A.D. to 165. He was a dispensationalist. He, he believed that God worked through the phases, and he had four phases of history in God's plan. From Adam to Abraham, from Abraham to Moses, from Moses to Christ, and from Christ to the eternal state. Then Irenaeus, 120 to 202 A.D., he taught something similar, dividing dispensations into the creation to the flood, the flood to the law, the law of the gospel, and the gospel to the, the eternal state. But So they understood that, that God is going to fulfill things literally. Uh, and folks, for the first 300 years of church history, the church believed that Jesus Christ was going to come at any minute. In fact, let me read some other quotes since I'm there. And I have so much here, I know I'm not going to get to it all. These are a couple of historians uh, of renown. William Newell says this. He says, The early church for 300 years looked for the imminent return of our Lord to reign, and they were right. Philip Schaff says, The most striking point in the eschatology of the anti Nicene age, that means prior to 325, is the prominent Chileism, Chileism or Millenarianism. In other words, they believe that that there's going to be a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. They call that Chileism. In fact, listen to uh, my new favorite dictionary, the uh, Oxford English Dictionary, uh, which traces the history of the word. Chileism is the doctrine of the millennium, the opinion that Christ will reign in bodily presence on earth for a thousand years. And this has been a thing long before John Darby came along. It was what the first century church, and for 300 years, believed. Um, Henry Thiessen says this. He's another theologian. We, we studied his systematic theology in our Bible Institute. He said, It is clear that the fathers held not only the premillennial view of Christ's coming, but also regarded that coming as imminent. That means any moment. That's what the Bible teaches. And you know what? That's true right now. I, I am not deceiving you to say to you that Jesus Christ could come at any moment. I hope that grips you. I hope that inspires you. I hope that makes you realize, wow, he could come today. There's a, a great, he was great, great fundamental uh, evangelist that when I first got saved in the 80s, we went to see this guy. They called him the walking Bible. He had just, uh, I think, the whole New Testament memorized. He just spouted off scriptures. He was so powerful. And then he got into some wacky doctrine. He's passed away since. But his, themes, his theme, and he had a little lapel thing, and, and I believe he's right on target. His little banner, his little um, motto that he promoted all the time was, perhaps today. And he was not wrong. 
perhaps today. That excites me because I am convinced Jesus Christ could come today. And I don't believe Paul was misleading those Thessalonians or the Corinthians or anyone else when he was impressing on them the imminent return of Christ. He believed Jesus Christ was going to come in his lifetime. And I'm convinced that's what God wants for us. And there's going to come a generation, folks, when Jesus Christ returns. And I wonder how many will not be expecting his return. In fact, remember what Jesus said, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? I hope that you are looking forward to Jesus Christ coming again. Henry Thiessen said this. He said, It is clear that the fathers held not only a premillennial view of Christ's coming, but also regarded that that coming is imminent. The Lord had taught them to expect his return at any moment, and so they looked for him to come in their day. Um, not only so, but they also taught his personal return as being immediately in fact, Augustine, I mentioned Augustine. You know, that I, um, uh, Robert Dick Wilson's quote about, you know, search back, because any false doctrine that's really taken a big hold usually goes back to one author. And, and if he's going to be true in this, I'd say let's go back to Augustine, because he's the one um, who came up with the idea of, of interpreting end-time things allegorically, but he used to believe in the literal return of Christ. Uh, you know, the, the writings, and, and so many people, again, Augustine uh, is a prominent church father. The King James translators had held him in great esteem. Um, Erasmus gave us the Texas Receptus, held Augustine in great esteem. Um, but understand, because he lived so long and his writings were so voluminous, um, he had some heresies that he believed later in life than some other things that he didn't believe later in life. So be careful of just blanketly writing off Augustine or not writing off Augustine. And um, so Augustine, let me tell you, go back to this. I'm jumping all over the place because I, I don't want to drag this on. Augustine um, once believed in a literal millennium himself. Listen to what he said early in his early days. I myself too once held this opinion. They who do believe them are called by the spiritual chiliasts. That's again a millennialist, someone who believes that Jesus is coming again. So Augustine understood this. This is what he believed. And there were people, he's even acknowledging there were people that believed this, which we may literally produce by the name millenarians. Um. One more guy, and then we're going to look at First Thessalonians. Uh, let's go back further now. I mentioned, oh, I mentioned to you uh, Morgan Edwards. Is that his name, Morgan Edwards? You think that's what I said? You're right. Okay, there's another guy. Let's go back way, way further than that. 303 A.D. to 373 A.D., a man by the name of Ephraim the Syrian. And by the way, when you we study church history, there are different church fathers, for example, that the Catholic Church says, this was our guy. Um, for example, St. Patrick is their guy. But do you know St. Patrick was most likely a born-again believer that preached the gospel? Uh, and, and so just because some church claims them, uh, this was a man that, that his teaching on prophecy would not be welcome in the Catholic Church even today. But um, he wrote 
many, many things. And he believed in the coming of the Lord. In fact, some of Ephraim's writings were not translated into English until the 1990s. That's when we started our church here. Uh, and one of those, one of his works was called On the Last Times, The Antichrist and the End of the World. And um, he said in this writing, so you were talking 300 A.D., he said, For all the saints and elect of God are gathered prior to the tribulation that is to come and are taken to the Lord, lest they see the confusion that is to overwhelm the world because of our sins. He's believing, he's taking these things literally and believes the Lord's going to gather us together. This man read 1 Thessalonians 4 and believed it. And by the way, there's, there's many other church fathers that believed in a literal, physical return, pre-tribulational return of the Lord. Uh, and so I want to encourage you, uh, do not let someone take away this precious doctrine. You and I need to be looking for His coming. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter. In fact, let's real quickly, you're in 1 Corinthians 15, am I right? All right, look real quickly. Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Paul was putting himself there. He said, you know what? We're not all going to die. And Paul believed he would be one of those that would be there in the return of the Lord. He said, in a moment, we shall all be changed. So he's saying, listen, while we're on this earth, while, while Christians are still alive on this earth, we're all going to be changed. Those that have died, those that have not. He says, in a moment... In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So he's talking about the, those who have died, those who have died in Christ. He says, we will be changed. He's talking about the rapture. Now, real quickly, let's go to First Thessalonians. And again, I want to direct you to, I think, tell Ali, you already handed out that slip, didn't you? I saw you giving it around. Thank you for that. You did charge a dollar per piece, did you? Two dollars, good. All right, we'll split it, okay? <laughs> First Thessalonians. Folks, this is just one of the clearest concepts. And this is, the bottom line is, what, what does the Bible say? And the bottom line is that Jesus Christ, the apostles, and early Christians taught that he was going to come again. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. They believed in an imminent return of Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Paul taught them to wait for Jesus Christ to come. Now turn to chapter 4. They believed in a rapture of New Testament saints. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 13. Dude, by the way, this is now, I had mentioned to you, when Paul went to Thessalonica, he was only there for weeks at most a month or two uh, around there because he was driven out. But in that time, he would go in on the Sabbath, preach the gospel, people got saved, the church was established. 
And he taught them some basic foundational truths about Christianity, about suffering, and then how Jesus Christ was going to come again. And he got them so excited. So then apparently now Paul gets, goes moving on, and their loved ones had died, and they were so anticipating the imminent return of Jesus that they were waiting with their loved ones. And then some of their loved ones that got saved died. And they're like, oh no, what's going to happen? So apparently they wrote to Paul, and you can tell by the style of Paul's writing is that he was responding to their questions. Because throughout these epistles he would say, now concerning. So it's like he's addressing different issues. And apparently uh, he was addressing the idea uh, concerning them which are asleep. They were very concerned about it. So look at, look at verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are, there's that phrase, asleep. He, he really means dead. But you know what's so precious? This idea of being asleep is unique to born-again believers. Unsaved people, when they die, it's, the Bible never refers to them as asleep in Jesus. Uh, and that, I mean, it's so devastating. When Paul would write that, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So he was writing to people to give them hope. In fact, he, at the end of the statement, he would say, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So I want to remind you that those of us that are saved, we're born again. You have loved ones that are born again and they've died. They are asleep in Jesus. And here's what he says. That you, in fact, here's, he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Paul's like, I don't want you to be dumb about this. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be unknowing. And then he teaches them the, the teaching of the rapture of the church. He says that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, Paul put himself in that group. And I'm convinced, folks, For I am just so convinced God wants us to put ourselves in this group. Because you know what? When Jesus comes, it's going to be a whole group of people, and they were the ones... And that right now, that's us. If he came back today, think about it. I mean, if Jesus came back today, or Jesus came back in the next couple weeks during our lifetime, do you realize what that's going to do in eternity? And again, I have an active imagination, and it might be, I might be a little off on this. This is not scriptural. Uh, But it's definitely, uh, when you think about when we get to heaven, folks, we're going to be gathered with all the saints of all time. And the church age, for thousands, you know, since the church began, you and I are going to, we're going to be in heaven with these people. Now that thrills me because we're going to get to see the Apostle Paul. We're going to get to see Peter. And you know what? If Jesus Christ comes during our lifetime, does that not uniquely set us apart from the thousands, the millions of Christians that have lived in obedience to the Scriptures 
living their life anticipating Jesus would come again, just like Paul. And they, they didn't get to see it. And we do, if Jesus comes today or soon in, in our lifetime. You realize what a privilege that'll be? I mean, maybe it's like this. You, you know, you're walking down Gold Street, Gold Avenue, taking a left on Silver Boulevard, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, there's someone, uh, there's Luther, Martin Luther. He comes up to you and he says, hey, hey, I heard you're one of those that you got to experience a rapture. Tell me all about it. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's, I want you to realize, folks, this is a big deal. This is what God wants us to be living because one of these days when Jesus comes, this rapture, this change, those who are alive, those the dead in Christ are going to rise first, then we which are alive and remain. That's going to, that applies to certain people. They're going to be raptured. They're going to be changed just like that. What a blessing. Uh, even so, them also which sleep, God will bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before, is the idea, them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. You see that phrase? Now realize this, this, this is English. English didn't even exist until 450 A.D. and later. I mean, that was the early beginnings of the Anglo-Saxon making its way to English. And so for, for, for a thousand years, Latin, this was in Latin, this, this scripture the whole Bible was in Latin. And this, the phrase raptura was the idea of this is the resurrection. This is what you and I are going to be a part of. What a blessed truth. And this phrase, caught up, is the, the Latin word rapture. It's where we get the word rapture. By the way, when someone tells you, well, rapture isn't in the Bible, so they don't understand where it comes from. Trinity is not in the Bible. but it's ta- I mean, the word trinity is not found in the Bible. But the doctrine of the Trinity is 100% found in the Bible and many things like that. So, we'll be caught up together. By the way, understand, let's close with this, okay? Because this is what he's doing. He is writing to grieving people. He is writing to people that are alive on the earth right then who had lost loved ones that were also looking to Jesus' return and they were together having that hope within them. That blessed hope. And now their loved ones died. And they're, they're thinking, because they didn't, they didn't, when Paul was preaching there, they didn't think ahead to, to raise their hand and say, Paul, I got a question about this thing. Um, what happens if the Lord doesn't come back in the next few years and my wife or my husband dies? How's that going to work out? Is that going to mess things up? Because it's really what they were asking, you know? And, and they're not going to prevent. In other words, it's not going to mess anything up. God has his order. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. He's writing this to encourage grieving people. That Jesus Christ is coming again, maybe today. And that we are going to be reunited with our loved ones. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, I remember Tom Wolfe teaching this. Maybe I was with him on visitation one time. He just he brought this out and it just, it sung to me so beautifully. 
And so, in other words, in this manner. What's he talking about? That word so goes back to caught up together with them. He's writing to encourage grieving people who have been separated from their loved ones in Christ. And he's, called, he's writing to tell them there's going to be a meeting in the air. It's going to be a grand reunion, folks. We're going we're to be caught up together with them. And so, in that manner, with them, we shall ever be with the Lord. Don't let anyone tell you that we're going to be numberless, meaningless blobs floating around on angelic wings, having no recognition. Uh, you know that your wife's going to be number 3,046, flying by with a harp and you're not even going to recognize her. There's... Now, I know that in marriage, you know, that in heaven they're not married or given in marriage. But, folks, he's writing this because we're going to be together again with our loved ones. We're going to be with them. That means something to us, doesn't it? And then he says this to close. He says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I submit to you that the teaching of the pre-tribulation rapture, the imminent return of Jesus Christ before God picks up His plan. And by the way, one of the important things of taking Scriptures literally versus allegorically, uh, the biggest separation is we believe that God is not done with Israel. We believe it's so clear in Scripture. Uh, Daniel 70 weeks that um, God is going to be, God is not done. There's 70 weeks. And, and to go back to Daniel's prophecy, we'll have to do that sometime. But folks, God is going to pick up again with Israel. You are going to be called out of the picture, you and I. Probably the marriage supper of the Lamb may very well go on during the tribulation period. Uh, the, um, the Bema of Christ is either going to happen right before the marriage supper or, dur- or uh, during that time somehow that's all going to take place. But while we are with the Lord, God is going to begin His end time events of f- finishing things up with Israel. And the whole idea of Gog and Magog and all these things that God has, God has literally laid it out, God's people have interpreted that literally long before John Darby. God's people have understood that Jesus is coming again. Let's realize that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Father, knowing um, and looking forward to the fact that Jesus Christ could return today. That is the blessed hope. And as John concludes, uh, Revelation, even so come, Lord Jesus. Uh, So we look forward to that. Uh, You are surely, he comes quickly. And um, that's what Paul believed, Father. And and we are convinced that he 